Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. Today's message is the first in a sermon series based on I Am a Church Member by Tom S. Rayner. According to Rayner, the first step of being a church member is to function like a member of the church, which means working with others towards the major goals of the worldwide and local church. The Apostle Paul talks about members of the church like different body parts. Each body part does something different, but we need all of the parts working together to accomplish anything. Today, Pastor David Cartwright asks us to consider what our own role in the church is and whether we're functioning successfully in that role. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us. For the message today, I'll invite you to turn in your scripture to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're not going to read all of the text before we start the message, but if you'll Open your Bible there. You'll be ready to look at the Scripture as we we come to it. We're starting today a series based on the small book by Tom Rayner called I Am a Church Member. Several of you have received the book. If If you haven't and you'd like to look through it, we have a few extra copies in the office, so don't hesitate to come by and get one. Uh, it's, an, it's an easy book to read. You might think uh, it's maybe a little oversimplistic, but I think it powerfully gets at what it means for us to be part of the body of Christ. Uh, we, we think about membership uh, in different ways, but when we talk about being members, we're not just talking about having your name listed in a book that's kept in a church office. That's, that is important enough. But we're talking about being members of a body, a holy, divine body of Christ. And as we move through these weeks, we're going to look at different facets of what that means for us. And as we start today, we're going to be looking at the, the, the notion that, that part, being part of a body means that you are a functional member. We are a functioning body together. Uh, in the book... There's a quote by Rayner that I just want to lift up as we begin. And he says, quote, that the concept of being an inactive member is an oxymoron. We use that term sometimes in keeping church records. Uh, We sometimes, if somebody hasn't been around for years, but we haven't removed them from the church membership roles, we put a tag beside them, and I'm not saying that that's necessarily what we do, but it's often done, and and they're called inactive members. I believe that Rayner is absolutely correct, that the concept of inactive member is an oxymoron when it comes to the body of Christ. No such thing exists if we follow what the Scripture holds up for us. And I would suggest to you that we can simply substitute the word functional or non-functional in the word of inactive. That the the, the notion of a non-functioning member is contrary to the scripture. As I was listening uh, to some other uh, scripture lessons and Bible studies this week, one of the illustrations that was mentioned uh, by a pastor 
used a term that I've heard from time to time in the past, and that is the idea of the invisible church. Have you ever heard that? Someone say that I'm a, I'm a part of the invisible church. It is true that there is such a thing, if you will, as the invisible church, because when you think about the church being a, a whole body that includes all the saints who have lived past, present, and future, and in all different places, you don't see all of what is part of the body of Christ. That's true. But usually, when someone uses the term, the invisible church, it's their way of saying, I want to be connected with Jesus because he's pretty cool with me. I just don't want to be connected to his body. And so I'm a member of the invisible church. I would say to you, brothers and sisters, I'm glad that Jesus came to us in a visible body, a body that could be seen and touched and observed. I'm glad that when Jesus spoke to us, he spoke to us in words that we could hear, not inaudible words. Do you understand where I'm going? The notion of invisible church leads us to the place that Scripture does not support. God intended for the body of Christ to be a body that is visible to the world, tangible for people to observe and to connect with. You and I, my friends, are called to be part of a visible church. It is visibly and functionally present in the world. And that is exactly what we want to talk about today. To be visible in the world means that we are functioning together as a body of Christ. And the best place that we go for that in the Scripture, where it's kind of played out the most with uh, illustration, is in 1 Corinthians 12. So if you would, let's look first in 1 Corinthians 12 and read together verses 4 through 7. <clears throat> Paul writes to the Corinthian church, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Hang on to that last phrase there. It's important. Notice what gets repeated as Paul speaks here. Varieties of gift, but the same Spirit. Varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. When we talk about the church, there is a source unity that needs to be recognized. And when I say source unity, it means that we all spring forth from one common creator. And it really just connects us to where we were last week with the celebration of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came upon that first group of Jesus-following believers poured himself out upon them, there was birthed the church. Not many churches, not a bunch of disconnected groups of believers. There was born one church, one unified church. And as we, as the church, are in many places, in many ways across the world, we all have unity because we all spring forth from the same 
source. And if we all spring forth from the same source, it stands to reason that we all stand with the same purpose. Wouldn't you say that makes sense? Or do you think that God would create one thing with differing, contrasting kinds of purpose? To me, that doesn't make sense. So the body that was given birth at Pentecost is a body that has one purpose. Why does it have one purpose? Because it comes from one creator. And the creator is the one who is given the purpose. A body doesn't give itself purpose. A body gets its purpose from the one who created it. And who created the church? God did, through his Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul is writing to what we would call a dysfunctional group of people. I don't know that they used that term back then, but we would. They were all in at odds with each other. There were little groups that they were hierarchical. You know, some of them who had the more prominent kinds of gifts. You know, you know they could kind of connect with each other and see. You know, we're the we're the in ones because you know we can speak in tongues or whatever it is. And then all the rest of them kind of yearn to do that because, you know, we want to be part of the in-group. Have you ever wanted to be part of the in-group, but you weren't? I kind of grew up like that in school. You know, I wasn't quite in the in-group, but I always kind of wanted to be. And Paul looks at the church and says, the church isn't supposed to be like that. Yes, some of you got these gifts and some of you got these other gifts, but you have to understand that the, the Holy Spirit didn't distribute these gifts so that you could be at odds with each other. The, the Holy Spirit gave you these gifts and abilities so that you could be unified because you're all brought together as one body. And as we even start looking at that, we just need to recognize that as the body of Christ, we are designed to be one because we are of one purpose. Paul goes on, if you turn over to verse 12, we'll start thinking about what it means to be a functional body. And the first thing that I would say to you about that is that a functional body requires parts that are all necessary. Okay? Every part of the body is a necessary part of the body. Paul says in verse 12 there, for even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of one body, though there are many, are one body, so also it is with Christ. All these different parts make up how many bodies? Just one, okay? With the implication is that you need all the members to make up the body. Drop down to verse 27 and listen to what Paul just kind of sums up everything he said in between, saying, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Not members individually floating around, but members all a part of one. And it's the fact that the body is only whole when it has all its members. Every part is necessary. I don't know how many of you have experienced this, but I have from time to time been asleep and I tend to sleep on my side, uh, mostly because when I sleep on my back, my wife wakes me up and rolls me over to my side. We won't go there. 
But when I sleep on my side, sometimes I get an arm pinned under my body. And if I sleep on it just right, you know what happens to that arm? It goes to sleep. And sometimes it has gone to sleep to the extent that it is completely asleep. And when I get off of it, you know what I can't do? I can't move it. I, I actually, if I move, move the arm upon which I've been sleeping, I have to take the other arm, reach over, grab that arm, and lift it up into the air and try to get some blood flowing back in and out of it. Let me ask this question. Imagine, if you would, what it would be like to deal with that every day. And I know that there are people who don't have to imagine it because they do. Every day you, you deal with those functional body parts that, or that, that don't function, that you literally have to pick them up and move it. For me, it's just an inconvenience when I've been sleeping on something. But would you like for that to be your reality every day? Would you choose that for yourself? Probably not. Why? Because the body functions optimally when the parts function fully. In order to have an optimally functioning body, it requires fully functioning parts. And so it is with the body of Christ. Athletes. Have you ever known an athlete who uh, was preparing to go into a season, football players, baseball players, whatever it might be, have you ever heard an athlete prepared to uh, have opening day of their season and say, you know, I kind of hope I get an injury just before the season starts. You know, I'd, I'd really like for my left knee to only be about 60% working. Can you imagine an athlete saying that? Yeah, I, I want my arms working 100%, my feet and ankles 100%, but it'd be really cool if, you know, if my, knee, my left knee just didn't work. Fully. I'd really like to have to wear one of those braces that, that holds it all together so that if I'm playing, that maybe I can get by. Anyone ever heard an athlete say that? Probably not. Why? Because athletes like for their bodies to be functioning optimally. And you can ask Jake if he's ever... You know. Athletes like for their bodies to function optimally and for... Bodies to function optimally, the parts have to function fully. That's just the way we're wired. Now, I'd recognize that I probably should make some qualification. Maybe you don't feel like I do, but I, I recognize that there may be a need because sometimes when we use illustrations, they can be taken the wrong way. And so for, you know, there, there are people who deal with bodies that don't function fully. And quite honestly, most of us deal with bodies that don't function fully. I know I do, okay? It's just that for some people, it's much more of a visible reality than others. You know, in using these illustrations, are we saying anything about persons who have bodies that don't function fully? Absolutely not. Of course not. You know, in the sight of God, these are, you know, the whole beloved persons just like everybody else. It's only an illustration to describe what, how God looks at the church. So understand that every part of the body is a necessary part of the body. If you hear someone say, well, the church doesn't really need me, 
kindly and lovingly correct them. It is not true. God has designed for every part to function. Every part is necessary. And when we have parts that have decided for themselves that they're not needed, the body does not function as well as it could. So every part is necessary, and every part is complementary. Every part of the body complements the other parts. Let's look at this body of text that we skipped over a few moments ago. Read with me from verse 14. This is where Paul really gets into using the analogy. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable... On these we bestow more abundant honor, and, on, and our unseemly members come to have more ab abundant seemliness, whereas our seemly members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, that there would be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it, if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. It is true with our physical bodies that the different parts of the body complement each other. When that doesn't happen, we have a body that is not functioning the way it's designed to. Even the parts that are the same complement each other. You have, you have two eyes. Most of you have two eyes, okay? And they function to some degree of efficiency, right? Some not. That's why we have these things called glasses. What happens if you close one of your eyes? Can you still see? Can you see as well? You may think so, but not really. At least one of the things that happens, if you close one of your eyes, you lose a certain measure of your depth perception. Okay? You won't lose at all. You could compensate. If you're out tossing baseball with a friend or your parent or your child, and that baseball is coming humming toward you, you could close one eye and still probably catch the ball. You'd be better off with both eyes open. Okay? Even parts that are the same complement each other. And beyond that, the parts that are different definitely complement each other. Let me borrow unashamedly from an image that was used by Tony Evans. Some of you are doing a Bible study together on Monday evenings online. And Tony Evans used this illustration, and it's just too great to pass up, so I'm going to steal it from him without apology. He's talked about if, you, if, if your body was ready for a drink of water, 
and you had that glass of water sitting on a table in front of you, it's going to require the cooperation of some body parts to get that water into your body, is it not? Your hand may say, I'm all ready to get that water, okay? So your hand and your wrist are on board. Let's say your shoulder is on board with it. Your shoulder is saying, I'm ready to lend support. I'm here. I'm ready for everything beyond me. I'm here to give it grounding and support. I'm going to make it happen. Your lips and your tongue and your throat muscles are on board. They're saying, you get that water up here and we will get it down the chute. Man, we're ready to go. But let's say the elbow and the rest of the arm are saying, you know, I'm just not into a drink of water right now. It's going to be a challenge for you to get that glass of water up to your lips and the water into your body if all the parts aren't working together and cooperating. Because your hand and your shoulder and your lips are probably going to send a signal to your brain saying, brain, you need to get that elbow on board. We need all the parts working. When all the parts work together, it works just fine. And so it is in the church. Do we have an appreciation for the varieties of talents and gifts and abilities that God puts together in the life of the church? Beyond that, beyond just the local church, do we have an appreciation for what God puts together in the church that a whole community sees? or a church that the whole world sees. It is extravagantly different and diverse. And God uses that diversity for the good of the kingdom. We stand in great error when we believe that our only expression of the church is the expression that God needs. We stand in great error if we believe that I am the only person in the church that God needs, or my little group is the only group that God needs in my congregation, it is absolutely not true. I like what my brother, Reverend Mike Williams, at International Outreach often says about the diversity of congregations in a community. And as he is so fond of saying, we do not compete, we complete. We're not in competition with each other. We complete each other. And just as that is true in a community, it is also true in a congregation. We don't compete against each other. There's a word for our physical bodies when the, bodies of, when, when, when the body parts do not coordinate with one another. It's called ataxia, when there's uncoordinated movements in the body. That's not the way the body is supposed to work. Likewise in the church. God has put together a body that is supposed to complement one another. You may be an eye, but you can't, you know, you take that illustration of take, taking the drink of water. An eye can, is the best part of the body to spot where that water is. But it's going to need help getting the water up to the lips. That's the way the body works. That's the way the church works. And so it requires a great deal of humility on our part to say, I need 
these other people in my congregation. I need these other groups of people in my congregation. I have to rely on what they can do because I can't do it all by ourselves. We can't do it all by ourselves. We need all the parts because only then is the body doing its optimal work. There's a great deal of humility that's needed. And that humility is based on the love that we have for each other. Turn, if you will, from 1 Corinthians over to the book of Ephesians in chapter 5. There's a few verses there that I want to look at, again, for the image that it creates for us. It would be very natural for us from 1 Corinthians 12, just to jump one chapter over to 1 Corinthians 13. Those two chapters are definitely connected in Scripture. But we visited 1 Corinthians 13 a few weeks ago on Mother's Day. We, we were reminded of how Paul talks about love as being patient and kind and selfless and, and compassionate and all these different things that true love actually is. Those things definitely should be manifest in the body of Christ. But when you look in Ephesians 5, and I want to read from verses 28 to 30, in this section, Paul is talking to, uh, he's talking to the church, to specific uh, parts of the church, if you will. And in this case, he's talking about husbands and wives, okay? And yeah, I know women, you know, oh, that's where he talks about wives should submit to their husbands. And I always get that, I don't like that verse. I know, you're not the first ones to tell me. We'll skip that part today. Paul is talking to the husbands, and he says that, that the husbands should love their wives as Christ loves the church. And you have to understand that the image that he is using here, he is, he is saying there are two realities that mirror themselves. There's the reality of the relationship of Christ to his church, and the reality of the relationship of a husband and a wife. And those two realities perfectly mirror one another. And so he's saying to married couples, look at the relationship of Christ to his church. Model your relationship after that. Husbands, how does Christ love the church? With his own body. Died for us. Love your wife like that. But Paul says something interesting here. He says in verse 28, So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. Okay? Bear in mind what happens when a husband and wife are joined together. The scripture says they are made what? One flesh. The two are joined into one. And in Paul's mind, it wouldn't make sense for anyone to hate their own body. Paul has just concluded that a reasonable person has a good deal of respect and honor for their own body. Would a husband despise his own body? Absolutely not. Okay, this wife of yours is now part of your body. Love her as you would your own. <clears throat> he who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does his church because we are members of his body. You see how easily he goes between the two? Husband and wife, oh, Christ and the church. We are members of his body. And if you take that image and put it back 
together with what Paul has been talking about in 1 Corinthians 12, you have to understand that he would say, you have to love your own body. And when you're in a congregation and you look around at all these other people that God has put in the same body, love them like you would love yourself. They're part of your body. They're part of your body because you are part of Christ's body. How many times could we revisit the commandment Jesus gave to his disciples? Love one another. Even as I have loved you, love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, all that Jesus, all that God has done and given us these scriptures, this picture of the body, stands on the idea of love. When we love one another as we would love Christ, as we would love ourselves, it makes absolutely no scriptural sense to despise another part of Christ's body. And if we find ourselves doing that, we have to call ourselves to repentance. Why do churches find themselves at odds so often? Because we forget what Christ has told us to do, to love each other. We are called to be functioning bodies. The body of Christ will only function optimally when all of its parts are functioning fully. And I talk to every person in this room and every person who is participating in this worship service, wherever you are, if you are a born-again believer in Christ, you are part of a body. You are a necessary part of a body. You are called to be a functioning part of a body. Woven together to create this beautiful body of Christ for the world. And so the first commitment that I invite you to make as we make this journey through these weeks is to be just that. Will you commit to be a functioning part of the body of Christ? Rainer says in his book that one question we should often hold up to ourselves and to God in prayer is, how can I best be serving my church? We should never ask if I should be serving my church. He's right. Jesus Christ died to make us a living, functioning body. Let's honor him by doing that. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, we thank you that you've given us the privilege of being part of a holy body called from the world to kingdom purposes. There's no greater honor that you could bestow upon anybody. Father, I confess that too often we take that calling too lightly. God, I repent of that. And I pray that you would hear the cries of every heart as we commit ourselves once again to glorify you by being all that you have called us, all that you have enabled us to be 
as the body of Christ. We want God to shine forth as a beacon of hope and truth to the world. So God, fill us with your spirit that we might do that in power, in humility, grounded in love, that Christ would be known among us and Christ would be known through us. For it, we give you praise. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can catch our worship services online at www.rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of His truth as you journey through this day.